Good morning and welcome to today's podcast. We're talking to Deborah Ostrom. With over 25 years of experience in finance, her goal is to empower women to build the future they deserve. Deborah has many years of experience with firms such as Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, and City Private Bank, and earned her MBA in finance in the Chartered Financial Analyst designation. She's broken down everything into straightforward, easy to understand lessons that will provide the support women need without making it complicated and take control of their finances. Good morning, Deborah. It's so nice to have you here on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Carrie. It's great to be here. Yeah, and I think this is a really important topic, so I'm excited to dive into this. So let's get right into this with your backstory. Can you share a little bit about what led you to doing the work or to do the work you're doing today? Absolutely. Um, You know, I've been in the financial industry for many, many years, over 25 years, and having grown up my parents separated when i was very young and so i always watched my mother struggle with money and having been in the industry for so long i still believe that there's a lot of women that aren't really being served well by the industry and um so since i left those big firms not that long ago i really wanted to focus on helping women because i saw and still see that there's a big need in helping them feel comfortable around their finances and learning the basics of investing so they can be in control and involved in the decisions. Yeah, I think every woman can relate to this in in some way, whether it is um, kind of just that little fear in the back of her mind that maybe I haven't done this or I've allowed my husband to do this. And what what's going to happen later? You know, what if something happens? Um, what will I know? And also just experiences with our own parents. You mentioned your mother. Um, my, my, I, my parents also divorced, but I was a little bit older. But I remember my mom just always having that fear. That was her biggest fear, like not so much the divorce, but the financial aspect of it. Right. Um, and uh, my, my in-laws were kind of a different story. Uh, um, my father-in-law passed away, but he was a financial banker. So my mother-in-law had zero knowledge, really, of anything. It was like just going on a treasure hunt afterwards, almost. He had laid everything out, but she didn't really understand it. So I think that it's important for a lot of women um, to hear these stories. So before we go more into the work that you're doing with women, could you go into a little bit of detail about your experience as a woman in the corporate world? Any limitations that you think you experienced? Um, Just, you know, where did you start to notice things from your own experience? Great, great question. So working in the financial industry, I grew up on Long Island in New York. And so what you know, you do when you see is that you go into New York City and you work in finance if you want to make money, which is, you know, was my path. And it's a very male dominated industry, which I think is also why women are intimidated. There's roughly 300,000 financial advisors in this country and 70 to 80% of them are men. So that's a big struggle. So having worked in all of these companies, 
for many years, um, I had my own battle with the pay gap. So I had changed roles and there was a different structure of pay. And I felt that they legitimately, based on my experience in the industry, my education, my credentials, they were paying me less than men in the same role. So I did bring it up with HR in a very strongly worded email. And to their credit, uh, they said that they were gonna take it seriously. They brought in an outside consultant. It, this is a very, very large global organization. And they said they were going to do a wholehearted global study. Mm. And they did. And it took them six months and they came back and said, I was right. We wow. pay the women less than the men in the same role. <laughs> and it and it partly is that thing where women aren't negotiating okay. or just accepting whatever the raise is and companies take advantage of that. Right. So, you know, I got my raise and I, and I hope and think that a lot of other women out there at the company probably got a raise too, because it was not long after that photo with the little girl and the wall street bull that was on the front page of the wall street journal mm -hmm. so nobody wants to be in the news after right. that right so it's you know when you're working in a industry that is male dominated uh it, it still happens today and the funny thing is i know this topic came up not long after i was going through this and when you're in a different industry and maybe it's not so much male dominated, they, they, people think that it doesn't exist anymore. And what are, what is all this complaining going on? Because I don't see it at work and they don't mm. realize that it still goes on. It's just not in their industry. And so, yes. um, so it's, it's definitely out there and I've experienced it. It's interesting that you said, um, you know, part of it is due in part to the lack of negotiation. And I hadn't really thought of that because, you know, it just kind of boggles my mind that women are still being paid differently than men. Um, you know, and you you look at that and you think, but how does that decision even get made? Does someone look at that and say, oh, she's a woman, knock off 10 grand from this? You know, um, that's yeah. that's great that they did that study and and came back with that and hopefully people did some women did get some raises as a result absolutely so the work you're doing now is so important that i think it's worth a deep taking a little bit of a, a deeper dive into maybe the statistics um involved in decision making in general and in, in households and marriages so for instance men are mostly responsible for making investment decisions would you agree Oh, absolutely. There was a study just a few years ago, both by a big company called Morningstar and another by UBS. And the shocking thing is uh, most women leave the finance and investing decisions to their spouse, um, but it actually gets worse as you get younger. And you almost would assume that the millennials yeah. are being more aggressive and mm -hmm. getting this knowledge. And it's actually not the case. It's getting worse, not better. And it's still over 50%. Um, and those were the statistics, some of them that I was reading that just were breaking my heart because even in the last 10 years, you know, the 
investing has become so much easier for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, technology has changed so many things. Well, it's also impacted the financial industry. And there's just so many easy ways for everyone to start, even with small dollar amounts and build over time, you know, build a nest egg for themselves. And it's, uh, so, so that's just one example. The other statistic that, you know, grabs at me is that 74% of all divorced or widowed women get a negative surprise after the fact that the household finances were worse off than they thought. There was either oh. more debt than they thought or the assets were less than they thought. And it's because they're not involved. Yeah. Um, and that is also very heartbreaking to me, especially during a time that's already, you know, an awful stressful situation. And then you compound it with, well, we didn't even have as much money as I thought. Mm -hmm. So I think there's also this myth out there that men are better at it than women. And it's just not the case. You know, human beings are human beings. Yeah. And there's all this emotional baggage from your childhood that comes into how you feel about money and risk. And it's really just so much better for the couple overall to have these conversations together or at least once a year, sit down. Like you were saying with I think it was your in-laws not even, you know, knowing where the documents are and the, yeah, it's, um, it is a big issue out there and it, and it's gotten so much easier. It doesn't need to be that way anymore. Sure. It definitely doesn't. And, you know, it just kind of begs the question, why aren't women taking more control over this? Um, because, you know, you think that there are women who are staying in marriages just because of financial insecurity. There are, I mean, it just goes and go, it goes further and further into other issues well beyond money. Um, you know, it's about control. It's also about security and there's fear. It's all kind of wrapped up in this. So why do you think women are willing to kind of take a back seat in relationships? I think it, I think it really is the myths that are, that become intimidating mm. where you think you need to be a math expert, not true anymore. You, um, think it's really complicated not true there's a lot of financial jargon but once you if you have somebody that can cut through that and make it understandable um the light bulb goes on and you realize how it isn't that complicated yeah and it's the, it's the man thing when you know eight, 70 to 80 percent of the financial advisors are men i think that just makes women not want to learn because they get patronized and made to feel that they're you know not intelligent and they just disengage instead mm -hmm. of um asking questions and being yeah. part of the process yeah and you're right that you know with technology today investing can be somewhat easy even if you really don't know what you're doing um myself, for example, I've, you know, had my own, you know, pension accounts and things like that, that are fine from years of teaching. But 
when I started my business, I couldn't wait to figure out how to invest in, and create my own accounts. And while they weren't going to be huge when they started, I was I felt it was relatively simple to ask my accountant which account is better, this one or this one, and and then you know go ahead and set up an account for myself and play around with with things and choose different money markets and stocks and just kind of watch and see what happens. I kind of almost consider it like a game a little bit with some of it. Uh-huh. Right. It, so there's a lot to learn. Yes. And I think that idea of having to pick stocks uh, is scary to mm-hmm. women, but you know, there's so many ways to just use a basket of stocks. So you yes. don't have to do individual exactly. investments mm-hmm. and that's what makes things so easier. And, you know, I love talking to people in the wellness industry because it really is the concepts of investing are very similar to someone's personal health. Yeah. Um, you just kind of assess where you're at and you then figure out what your goals are. So you figure out how do you want to get there? And then just like when you create this healthy meal plan and you're figuring out the right mix of protein, carbs, and fats, depending on their situation, mm-hmm. kind of do the same thing by putting investments into groups. So you figure out what the right mix of stocks, bonds, and cash is mm-hmm. and for that situation and goal. And it doesn't have to be too much more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, I like that analogy. Yeah. And that'll certainly work for my audience as well. I'm sure that makes a light bulb go off for many people listening to this. So you transitioned from some pretty well-known big firms to work for yourself. So I wanted to maybe pause and talk about that transition. Many of the women I interview have had uh, common themes of identity coming up and, you know, kind of changing that role, changing the way you thought of yourself. If you were in this high power career, like that's kind of how you identified yourself. And then suddenly you leave that, that world. Um, So there can be an identity crisis, but there also can be a little bit of fear involved. So I just wanted to talk about your experience with those two things and, and anything else that came up for you. Yeah, that's a great, great point. I think for me, I uh, traveled so much for so long, I really was burnt out. Mm. And um, I knew before the pandemic that it wasn't going to be a long-term thing for me anymore. My husband and I were trying to figure out what, what would that next thing for me be? I would bring it up with him and just tell him I didn't want to you know, be in the same role and travel so much. Mm-hmm. And then when the pandemic hit and I was forced not to travel, of course, I love that. But my company sold off the division I was a part of. Mm. So it was somewhat, you know, the, 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 the action was done for me. And I'm like, okay, well, this is fantastic, actually. Mm-hmm. And I just knew that if I could not have to go back to the stress of the corporate world in that environment, um, that would be my preference. So my identity wasn't really wrapped wrapped up in it anymore because Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, And I was just trying to figure out, you know, how do I 
take my experience and knowledge and still help people and women. Um, but I also, uh, I'm not technically a financial advisor. I don't manage other people's money for them. Right. And I also didn't want to do that. I, I really love this idea of education because it is so much simpler yeah. and for someone to at least get started doing it on their own. And I feel like the biggest um, need out there isn't for people that already have money. I mean, that's what going to a financial advisor is for. When you start getting into your 50s and you have a million or more or almost a million and more, you know, that's where a financial advisor's fees really make sense because the next part of your life is going to get complicated. You're going to have to live off that money. Mm -hmm. But nobody's really either nobody's really helping the people that are just starting out and yes. our country is honestly in a retirement crisis not enough people have that big enough nest egg to really make it so that they aren't stressed when they're in their 60s there was another study where 85 percent of all women believe that they will be working past the age of 65 because of money mm. that's a huge number so my belief is if I can get as many 30 year old and between 30 and 50 year old women mm -hmm. to just learn these really basic ideas and start putting away $100 a month and then maybe next year when they get a raise, it's $200 a month and show them something as simple as that will turn into hundreds of thousands of dollars in about 20 to 30 years. I feel like there's so many lives that are going to be better off. So that's um, really what kind of drove me and wanted me to start doing this, which, yeah, is yeah. quite different than what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about then how you do that. So you you have a website and you are helping women to do this. How are you reaching the women that you want to reach? And um, how are you helping to educate them on this? What does that process look like? I uh, So I have two courses right now. And um, one is all about, you know, building your plan because even when you're looking at your fitness, you know, it kind of starts with the plan and going back to what I was saying, you have to kind of be honest and self-aware and assess where you're at, um, you know, where are your strengths, where are your weaknesses. And, you know, I'm, I've created a workbook to go along with all of this that's actually going to be on Amazon next month. But I feel like that really writing things down after you learn something and it puts it all in one place like you're talking about so you you can write your plan down and that's one course mm -hmm. and then the other course teaches you those basics of investing without jargon and i do a lot of analogies with other things in life whether it's building a sports team everyone mm -hmm you know, either played sports when they were a kid or their kids are in sports and you've got offensive positions, defensive positions and special teams. It's really, you, you can really make these things straightforward and, you know, map out what your money goal is 
and what kind of mix you should create for it. So I'm, I am more practical in my courses mm -hmm. and they're, you know, really straightforward to understand so that anybody can get started by the end of it and not be intimidated. Like you're saying, open whatever account may be right for that situation and start investing with small dollar amounts so that they will reach their goals. And then there are some people that want to talk to a human. So I do yeah. do the one-on-one -on -one coaching as well. And there's packages for that uh, too. So, so if someone took one of your courses, for instance, would they be able to do some follow-up with you via one-on-one -on -one coaching if they have specific questions or if they're trying out something and, and questions arise as a result? Absolutely. And then I also have Facebook groups that go along mm. with the courses just to talk about concepts in real time. Um, but, and all of my little, my video trainings, I, I break it down and make it interesting. So it's like six to 10 minutes, depending on the topic. Nice. And I give a lot of real practical um, tips and training, whether it's apps to use, how to use them. I, I really wanted to make it actionable. So at the end, they, that they, person will absolutely be able to take action and be in a better place. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love the idea of having a workbook too. I think that'll be really helpful. You know, it's funny. We sometimes think we're leaving behind this other world that we've had and all of this experience and the education that has come with it. But without all of that, you don't have the authority to do what you're doing now to really help people. Like if I saw on Amazon, someone with your experience and, and, you know, looked at the places where you have worked and, and seen what your career has looked like, I'd certainly want to buy, it would be easy to, to hit that button and buy that workbook, right? Because there are people out there offering things like that, but you just kind of have to trust that they have the guidance and sometimes they don't. Yes, that was another kind of shocking thing for me, seeing who is out there on social media and all of this and, you know, I, I think it, it is hard for somebody to know, you know, who you should be kind of learning from. Um, and I think though, maybe in a period like we're going through now, mm -hmm. which a lot of people out there that were talking about it had never experienced before. And because I've, you know, been through so many market recessions and downturns. <laughs> they aren't really all that different. Um, I do feel like I have a, you know, better way of talking about how you go through periods like this. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely very relevant right now because I'm sure there's a lot of fear going on, um, you know, especially around investments. Yes. So one thing I always ask everyone that I interview, what has been your, what would you say if you had to, to think of one greatest challenge um, throughout your journey? And this can be your journey in starting to starting your own business or just, you know, your overall journey throughout your career as a whole. And on the flip side of that, what has been your greatest joy? Great questions. Oh, you know, it's so funny. I think my greatest challenge 
is self-doubt. And it, it's so funny. And I've, I've realized even, you know, we're always realizing things about ourselves. I think, I know I am, I, mm -hmm. you know, I'm in my early fifties and even through, like you're saying this current transition and going through all these things that happened for everyone in the pandemic with our families mm -hmm. and life in general, I've realized that I, like many women, was a big people pleaser. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of also why I had such burnout from that corporate yeah. life. And I also realized if I, you know, didn't have all that doubt in my head, I probably wouldn't have gotten so burnt out and had mm -hmm. to like take on extra things, whether they're social engagements or even things with family or responsibilities that really weren't even mine to take on. Mm -hmm. So it's funny, even I feel like in my 50s, I'm still uh, growing. And literally now, I am very self uh, aware and intentional, I guess I should say about what I do with my time. Yeah. So I, I, I'm honestly a lot less social now than I used mm -hmm. to be. And it actually makes me feel better because I have more time for family things. And just sometimes I just want to, you know, sit on the couch and not do anything. And that's okay too. Yeah. I feel the exact same way. It's, that's been my experience too. So any books that you might recommend to someone who is just kind of getting started with looking at their finances, thinking about investments that you think would be maybe simple for someone to read and, and start the journey? Well, so when I, when I was thinking about books, um, I think what people also don't realize, and I am seeing this a lot more too, is that a lot of what also holds people back is their mindset around money mm -hmm. and it's the psychology of money. Yeah. So if you can start kind of with that and then, then, you know, go from there a little bit, if you, if someone is interested in reading a book and then the other thing, you know, is all of this, uh, money and couples issues. There's so mm -hmm, many statistics mm -hmm. about couples and money. So there's a good book out there called the, the healthy love and money way by okay. Ed Combs. And, uh, so he's a financial planner and talks about people's relationships with money. And it's, it's just very eye-opening. And then there's actually a very new uh, field of study out there called financial therapy, which oh. only started a few years ago, which I kind of find fascinating. Yeah. Um, and there's a book out there called Financial Psychology, and that's by Alex Melkumian. If you're anything like me, you love to read, but we don't always have time to sit and spend the time reading that we'd love to because our schedules are busy. While I'm out walking or I'm at the gym or even taking long car rides, 
I now use Audible to listen to a lot of the books that I love. I'm currently reading a book on boundaries, one of the subjects that has come up in these interviews, and I've read all different genres, but particularly my self-help books are my go-tos for Audible. So if you'd like to join Audible, you can listen while you walk as well. Go to the link I have in the show notes and you'll see how you can easily sign up for a free trial. Audible has been an amazing tool for me in my health and wellness journey, and I hope you can find that it's useful for you as well. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's also something. And then there was another good couples book about the heart of money, which is a couple's guide. So they were, they're really kind of more about, you know, the psychology of money and how we think about money. Um, because I honestly have struggled to find books that I thought are uh, simplistic and straightforward yeah. and jargon-free. So I focused on this workbook at first, but I think at some point I probably will do a book as well because I don't see a lot of people relating investing to these other areas of life that people do understand. And I think it's because in some ways the industry doesn't want people to realize that it really is as straightforward as it is because yeah. the fees are so, you know, there's a lot of fees going on. People mm -hmm. are making a lot of money. Yeah, so. for sure. And you're right. Removing the jargon is you know, definitely necessary. So a book would, would certainly be helpful. I have a friend who she started doing options trading and I didn't know anything about options trading. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And I love to research. Let me look into it. And really like 15 minutes into it, I said, whoa, no, I have no idea what I'm reading here. This is a whole new language, a whole new vocabulary. And I would have to dedicate like a year of my life to understand this, what's going on. Um, so for sure, I mean, I think people just look at it and just kind of shut the door sometimes. Well, you've chosen one of the, the, the higher level, more experience. I mean, options is there's so many people that don't even, you know, get exchange traded funds, mm -hmm. which, you know, there, there's levels of, you know, risk and experience. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of want to you know, get the, the larger group set up in a certain way and then kind of go on to intermediate and advanced. Exactly. Advanced. Well, it's good to know that I was delving into something advanced because I thought oh, I yeah. consider myself a fairly intelligent person and this is not happening. <laughs> <sighs> okay. So the last question I have is where can we find you online? So someone can connect with your courses, maybe sign up for something or even, you know, try to follow you on social media. Yeah, so I do have a website, which is, you know, very straightforward, DebraOstrom.com. I've got a free training webinar up mm -hmm. on that there and free guides. So there's, and, and I do a weekly newsletter. Oh, great. Um, so there's a lot of different ways people can get to know me. I'm on Instagram with DebraOstrom1. And I have a Facebook page called the Busy Woman's Guide to in, to Money. So there are all different ways for people to connect. 
Perfect. Well, I'll be sure to put these in the show notes so that um, the women who are watching can find you. And I plan to follow you myself because I am your audience as well. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Deborah. I really enjoyed talking to you today and I appreciate you being here for our listeners. Thank you so much. This was super great. Take care. <laughs>